2: Court, thank you. Welcome to Closing Bell. I'm Scott Watner, live from Post 9 here at the New York Stock Exchange. We're going to be joined momentarily by Professor Jeremy Siegel of the Wharton School for a look at where this rally can go from here. And that's where this make or break hour begins with stocks on the move yet again. The Dow might have given up its 13 day win streak yesterday. Not its momentum, though. It's rising again. Verizon, p Boeing among the best gainers today. The S&P 500, just like the Dow, looking for its third straight week of gains, and that's after the Fed's favorite read on inflation came in largely in line with expectations. As a result, interest rates mostly lower, and that, to nobody's surprise, is helping the NASDAQ to a strong day. Apple and Amazon, of course, set to report their earnings next week. Both stocks, there you see them, higher in today's session. It leads us to our talk of the tape. Whether there's enough momentum in earnings so far to keep this rally intact. Let's ask Professor Jeremy Siegel of the Wharton School He is live with us once again. Professor, it's nice to see you again.
3: Good afternoon, Scott.
2: We heading towards new highs, Professor?
3: I think so. I mean, this is such a strong market. Um, uh, You know, you you hear the the guidance from the firms that was so tentative, uh, you know, in the first and second quarter. A lot of it is so much more confidence. Uh, The internals are improving. It's broadening out. Uh, the ECI, uh, you know that uh, the, that employment cost measure that uh, Chairman Powell mentioned uh, a couple days ago came in below expectations, as well as the others. You know, Goldilocks: lower, lower inflation and and stronger economy and uh, good guidance and good profits. What's to stop this market now? No, I don't know, Jay Powell and company. Maybe you think they're done? I'm not sure that they're done but what I'm pleased about is that he acknowledges uh, that there are two-sided risks that he's gonna every meeting is a live meeting there's no preconceived motion about whether whether they're gonna go up or down they're gonna look at the data which is something that you know I've urged for 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 quite a while you know frankly as you know I was very when I saw the money supply go down decelerate by the greatest amount in history I was concerned um uh, I wanted. I was worried about what was going to become of the economy in the second half. And I'll tell you, the first half. I don't know anyone who thought that the first half would grow faster than two percent. Uh, I would look back in my records. Uh, even the Fed uh, was way below that in its estimate. So uh, inflation coming down, stronger economy. Uh, I don't see this stopping anytime soon. Do you think
2: that the Fed is is looking at the right thing? I mean, there are some who suggest that they're fixated on on lagging indicators and not enough on what's actually taking place on the inflation front, the danger, of course, being that they end up going too far as a result. Do you share those
3: concerns? Well, I did a lot earlier on. Um, you know, I, I still have trouble with this year over year because it's 11 months of old data and then one month of the new data. And we all know how lagged the housing indicator, which was uh, you know, still recording increases every month, even though it's gone down year over year. But I think now the Fed gets that and they realize that uh, uh, there there are a lot of lags in that system and that, that they have to look at that forward looking indicator. So I'm less worried about that now than I was three or even six months ago. The, the bears would say, and we're going to talk
2: to one in a minute, by the way, and we're going to have a debate. Okay. But they would say that you know, the, the bulls will come up with any excuse to justify valuations which are stretched. They're stretched far past historical averages. And given the environment we're in, where earnings are still not great, better than feared isn't good enough to justify valuations here. How would you respond well, to
3: that? Well, you know, the S&P is, is uh, selling about 20 times next 12 months. Uh, you know, I, my research shows that that's about average. I mean, the the tech stocks are thirty, the value stocks, the cyclical stocks, so fearful of that inflation are fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. That's extremely reasonable. So you know, yeah, you could argue that the tech the tech stocks may be a little bit over their skis, and in terms of how far they've gone, um, and you know, I would prefer the value stocks on the long run. But when I look at this market as a whole. I do not see any significant overvaluation. You know, I think back in the dot-com bubble where the S&P was selling over 30 times earnings in a much higher interest rate environment than we have today. That was scary. Uh, I don't regard today's valuations as scary. Do do you think there's going to be a bit of a catch-up
2: trade from, from those who say, okay, technology stocks and comm services stocks have done a lot, the valuations have expanded. Multiples have expanded, obviously. They're a lot richer than they were at the beginning of the year. And if we truly are going to have a softer no landing, the better plays are going to be in those value stocks you cite.
3: Yeah. Well, you know, one thing I've learned to appreciate is trends. Uh, and, and 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 most certainly we have a trend of, of those tech stocks, the Magnificent Seven, if you want, being very strong. And trends grow go much further than We expect and honestly, much further than they deserve to go. So, I'm not going to say, you know, like next week or next month, we're going to see that catch up trade because, you know, we had one bad day a week ago where tech really sold off and boy, they've regained their. And that's usually what happens. Little cracks appear, but the trend continues. This trend of strong tech relative to the others, even though the arguments that you make are good about widening out with a better economy. You know, it could happen for another three or six months before we see a reversal. But long run, I would agree uh, those stocks pose more risk and lower longer term returns. Wow. I mean, three to six more months of gains for tech
2: that doesn't, you know, start to get into the super frothy territory of valuations. As I said, you know, Apple reports next week it's 31 or 32 times. And a lot of these stocks are far ahead of where they started the year, Professor.
3: Right. Uh, and, they, and they were certainly, you know, quite depressed at, at the end of last year. Uh, again, I'm not I'm not saying that's happened. But, I, you know, I'm old enough to remember 1998, 99, the S&P technology stocks, which contained only one Internet stock, which was AOL, which was actually making money. But the technology sector was selling at 80 to 90 times earnings. So what we have today is almost peanuts in comparison to to some of history again i don't think we're going back there because i think people learned their lesson that was a disaster i'm just telling you how far trends can run before they reverse and how hard it is to predict when they are going to reverse well let's bring in
2: cnbc contributor gregory branch from veritas financial group the aforementioned bear at a time where the professor says this is goldilocks
4: this is goldilocks greg branch Why don't you think it is Professor Scott good to see you Uh, I think it's the exact opposite of Goldilocks and I think uh, you've heard me position it this way before Scott the economy is strong enough that the Fed is at least attentive at least on watch at least didn't say we're done and they can't but not strong enough to justify the earnings estimates. And so here's here's something that that I was too optimistic about. Remember coming into this quarter, and and as the professor said, there have been some nice upside surprises, but on average, it's a nine percent contraction in earnings right now for this quarter, with 20 percent of the S and P reporting. I was at around five percent, thinking that all that stimulus that we supplied uh, in the you know first five months of this year was going to result in a better quarter than consensus expected at negative 7%, just like we saw in the first quarter. And so I was way off and consensus is way off if this is where we end this quarter at negative 9% contraction in earnings. How do we get from there to a flat third quarter? How do we get from there to a 8% earnings growth fourth quarter or 245 in 2024? I just don't see any probabilities that I can assign to that, Scott. Mm -hmm. Then, if that's the case, then I make a mathematical calculation. I'm going to quibble with the professor saying 19 is about average. The professor knows that while 19 is probably reasonable, 10-year average is 17 times. And at 17 times 225, we're looking at 3,800. That's what the math says to me. Professor, your response is what? Well, there's
3: a couple things. First of all, You know, far-out earnings are always too high. If you take a look at history, they they start too high and they start going down. What is really amazing to me is 2024 earnings have remained virtually the same as they were three, four months ago, which is actually going up relative to their average performance. Also, it's my belief that if you take a look at long-term trends P.E. ratios, they're higher today. I don't think 17 is the right P.E. ratio to apply to a market. I think it's really 19 to 20. And for the growth stocks higher, I'm not saying it's 30. I think it's probably closer to 25, 26, depending on which stock you're talking about. But I think that that, I I would do 20, and you're you're, you're right, 20 times 240 is what, 4,800 on the S&P. And yeah, we're we're not there yet but we're certainly that that doesn't doesn't spell a
4: decline for next year greg well at least we know where we differ uh, you know i i think that those are those are slightly aggressive estimates uh you know i think i think paul volker is is looking down on us professor and probably shaking his head that we are trembling at the fed uh proposing and likely to do more here um i know that you're probably not of that opinion i am and i reference uh, our, our, our all of our mentor volcker in that remember in order for him to step out the last great inflation we saw he took interest rates to near 20% he induced two recessions because the lesson learned from those volcker years was that if you don't pl- apply consistent enough and extreme enough pressure the inflation's going to rear its yeah, head but, again
2: but but you're and acting as though but you're acting as though all inflation is created equal And the inflation that was caused in the 70s is far different from the inflation that we're witnessing today. I guess my question to you, Greg, would be, and I don't ask it in a way to be snarky in any way, and that's certainly not my intention. Um, And I have the greatest amount of respect for you. You know that. But how long Mm -hmm. are you willing to be wrong? The same arguments I hear repeatedly when you come on are the ones that have fallen by the wayside, is the stock market is up 20%. The S&P 500 is up 20% this year. And if you quibble with me and you say, well, that's because the Magnificent Seven are are carrying the the whole boat, um, I would say, well, the equal weight S&P 500 is up nine and a half percent. So it's not just the mega cap stocks anymore. Maybe at one time it was, but this is a more broad rally than it was. And I'm just curious as to how you're able to maintain this level of resolve you have in the face of what a, what is undoubtedly a different story that's playing out in the market.
4: Well, there's there's three reasons why, Scott, and and uh, I, I certainly don't mind a challenge, and and for sure I'm wrong right now. Um, number one, I think any t- there are definitely durations during which the market departs from its fundamentals. You know, we just did the math. If you believe a 19 times multiple is appropriate, that's what you believe. But if we're both at 225 or so around that and we apply a 17 times multiple, that tells us where it needs to be. So I I can change my posture when I can change my math, number one. Number two, let's not forget, Scott, you and I have been doing this together now since early 2022. And I think we'd both admit that you asked me some of these questions during 2022. And I said, Scott, I don't know how long that this July 8th, August rally is going to last, mm-hmm. but it's short-lived. And that's what I think about this rally for now. Again, and when I hear something different or say, see something different factually that would have me change my mind, then it will. Well, the uh, facts have, no have changed, I am no shame in that.
2: The facts have changed, <laughs> though, haven't they? I mean, the Fed's closer to the end. I think we, I think we can it, it, intellectually admit that. And the economy, and I know we can admit that the economy is far better today than you thought it would be back when we started having these conversations. That the consumer has shown a heck of a lot more resolve than you thought they would. And that earnings, despite the fact that you point out that they're still disappointing to you, they're way better than you expected them to be to this point. I know it.
4: Well, well, let me clarify two things. Number one, they're not disappointing to me. They're just negative 9%. And so you decide how you feel about negative 9%, and you decide whether or not you feel like we can get from negative 9% this quarter to flat next quarter. That seems unlikely to me. Uh, so so that, that's the first thing that I, I, would, I would quibble with. The second thing I'd quibble with is, yes, we are closer to the end of the hiking cycle. I would agree with that. But I think what all three of us can also agree with is that we are much more towards the beginning of feeling the impact of what the fed has done i think we sometimes lose sight of that it's not just about saying they're going to raise interest rates typically the impact is fully felt 12 to 18 months after the raise and so we're only in the beginning innings of feeling that 500 basis points and you know i think it's going to be 625 mm-hmm. i've i've made the, i've maintained that since october so so that's that's why i still maintain this posture scott professor too soon to declare victory. That's the message I hear from Greg. What do you think about
2: that?
3: And and, and I hear that and I've been talking about the long and variable lags. Actually, the tightening, you know, the pivot was November of, uh, you know, 2021, even though the first increase wasn't until March. And we're now more than 18 months from that pivot when long rates started really going up. And yeah, I'm surprised how well the economy has withstood these higher rates, which shows me there's a lot more fundamental optimism about strength. Take a look at consumer sentiment recently, uh, how that's gone up. Um, You know, jobless claims, which were going up in in May and June, have now collapsed back down. Wow. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's opened my eyes. And, you know, as I pointed out before, you know, Lord Keynes once said, when when the facts change, I change my opinion. What do you do, sir? Uh, And uh, like... Yeah, I I was fearful. I was fearful like you were, Greg. Um, But then I began looking at these facts and say, hey, there's a lot more fundamental strength and we have to take that into account when we project what's going to happen both for the economy and for the markets. Greg, I'm going to give you the last word. I'll just ask you to do it briefly if you could.
4: No problem. So I agree with what you said, Professor, and I am I am always challenging my own assumption. One of the things that I saw in GDP that was encouraging is to see business business spending tick up again. So business spending went from nearly flat in the first quarter to 7.7% in the second quarter. And while I'm still processing that, I don't think it can save us from what is about to happen to the consumer. We had passed a trillion in credit card debt. Credit fell off a cliff. We expected to add 20 billion. We added seven The underwriting standards are still tightening. We just haven't felt the full impact of that 500 basis points yet. Gentlemen, to be
2: continued, enjoy the weekend. (laughs) We'll talk to both of you soon. Professor, thank you, Gregory Branch, you as well. Let's get to our Twitter question of the day. We wanna know who do you think is right on the market? Professor Siegel the bull or Gregory Branch the bear? You can head to at CNBC closing bell on Twitter to vote. The results later on in the hour. We do have breaking news though on the autos, Phil LeBeau. Who else with the details, Phil?
5: Hey, Scott, take a look at the largest automakers in terms of sales here in the United States. Why are we showing you this? Because the Department of Transportation has just put out proposed rules to increase the fuel economy standards in the United States between 2027 and 2032. We already know what the standards are going to be up through 26. What are they going to be through 27 to 32? Goes up to 54 miles per gallon. That's the fleet-wide average for automakers. And then you see all the way up to just under 60 miles per gallon. That has to be the average that is going to be expected by 20 to 30, 2032. This is a proposal at this point, Scott. 60 days from now, we'll see what the comments are on this. And then we'll see if it gets put into law as the DOT wants us to dramatically increase fuel economy in this country. All right, Phil, we
2: appreciate that. Just uh, noting as well, Ford shares down uh, after earnings uh, yesterday, uh, about 3.5%. Phil Phil Lebeau, thank you. Let's get a check on some top stocks to watch now as we head towards the close. Christina Parts and Nevelos is here with that. Christina.
0: Well, it seems more people are turning to Roku to stream videos. The channel grew 50% year over year in Q2, although they didn't give us an actual number. Roku is having its best day since 2019 after posting a smaller than expected loss on higher revenue. The company has been cutting staff to lower costs, so that's helping margins. The strong revenue guidance is another sign of a pickup in digital ad sales. That's why shares are up. Look at that. 29%. And Scott, It's Friday, right? So, Twisted Tea, anyone? Boston Beer seeing strong growth in that liquor category. By the way, that sweet tea, they even have a whiskey version that's 65 proof in my diving into the research for that. But that category offsetting challenges in the hard seltzer category. Shares soaring after the brewer smashed earnings estimates and reaffirmed its full year earnings guidance. Shares up 17.5%. Twisted.
2: All right. Christina, thank you. You enjoy It's 5 o'clock somewhere. All right, we're getting started just now. Up next, five-star stock picks, Capital Wealth Planning's Kevin Simpson is changing up his portfolio this earnings season. He's going to reveal his latest trades. He'll do it just after the break. We're live from the New York Stock Exchange. You're watching Closing Bell on CNBC. Welcome back to Closing Bell. We're roughly halfway through second quarter earnings. Results have been mostly better than expected, with growing expectations of a rebound into 2024. Our next guest is using this reporting season to make some changes in his portfolio. Joining me now, right here, Post 9, Kevin Simpson of Capital Wealth Planning. Good to see you again. We'll talk about the market more broadly in a minute, but I want to get to the moves first. You you bought Freeport McMoran, that's sort of your headliner new buy. Yeah, pretty why? exciting, huh? Well, you, I mean, you, you must be <laughs> bullish in the market now, or certainly bullish on the economy, because if you weren't, why would you buy Freeport?
7: Yeah, I think there's going to be a rebound in copper. You know, we want to look for things when they're down. They posted earnings, which we thought were pretty good this week, Scott, and it sold off 5%. So we're looking at a company that's cleaning up its balance sheet. It's definitely going to be a beneficiary if there are some stimulus in China or if it does reopen at some point. It's a dividend a little bit lower than I typically look for, sub 1%. But over the past three years, they've been increasing that at about a 44% clip, nine times EBITDA. I think there's an opportunity there to take a position in a little bit of a commodity play, more copper than gold
2: are you still as cautious, if not just negative on the market as you've been? I'm
7: always cautious, no matter know, what happens. I know you're cautious,
2: but you've been, you've been negative. You've been yeah. tilted negative on the market. Yeah, I think does, this, does this say anything, this buy about your, your opinion sort of changing?
7: Yeah, I think as we get to the end of the Fed heightening cycle, we have to take this, the, the reality that the consumer has been so strong into account and expect that we're not gonna see those October lows retested. So I don't know that the market has a whole lot to go in terms of its broader appeal but even if we do have that catch up trade, then stocks like Freeport and some of the others that we've been piling into could be beneficiaries because they haven't done anything.
2: Is that why you bought more Coca Cola?
7: Yeah, you know, again, the, like the anti tech trade, we were talking about it a month and a half ago. The last time they had earnings, the stock sold off 10%. And we thought with Pepsi's, good earnings last week, Mm -hmm. that we'd see a follow through with Coca-Cola, and we did. They beat on top line, bottom line. They increased sales for the year in terms of their estimates. And what's great about Coca-Cola is not only did they raise their margins, they also raised sales, checks off all the boxes.
2: So you wrote calls on, we're looking at the screen. You wrote calls on Microsoft and and UPS. to hedge positions that you, you have in both of those stocks?
7: Yeah, you know, there's been a lack of volatility, almost it's an absence of volatility in the broader markets, but UPS heading into what became a, a good outcome. With Crisis averted, to, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. But vol was picking up before then, so we are able to get really good premiums. Same with Microsoft and Apple, you've got opportunities within tech where you've got higher premiums heading into earnings, and in both cases, they turned out to be really good option trades.
2: Microsoft is interesting, isn't it? I mean, it's so much representative of the sort of cycle of where the market is you know earnings I'm not going to suggest that they were disappointing but you know the stock obviously didn't have a great reaction to it and yet their stocks only down 1.4 percent on the week uh, and as you just saw on the board there, as all of our viewers are looking at it now it's up two and a half percent on the day so there's there's still this idea of buying these names on any sort of dip.
7: Yeah, and I think we're going to continue to see that because people want to be in them. I continue to trim them. I continue to write calls on them, but I'm sure as heck not selling out of them. I think the multiples are a little bit stretched, but the opportunity for the catch-up trade to me is real. And even if the market stays flat or even it went down a little bit and those names that maybe were ahead of their skis came down and the rest of the market goes up, Certainly, that would be good for me and my style box, because there's a lot of value names that haven't had a pulse in the past six, seven, eight months. Give me some more details on UPS, uh, if you will. We just brief-
2: briefly mentioned it in passing. Obviously, the strike, you know, we are worried about it, and it's not going to take place because of that agreement that we reached. The stock's up 7% in a month.
7: It's a great it, it was a great job by UPS. It was an awesome job by the Teamsters, and it's great for the economy and for, the, you know, for all of us. The stock has increased its dividend by 16% on average for the past five years. That's what I'm looking for. I want companies that can increase their dividends because their share price will be reflective of that earnings growth. So if they've got earnings growth, dividend growth, it's a hedge against inflation, and ultimately the stock price will go up over time. You own any financials? We own Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan. Okay. And and Visa, depending upon where you want to put it. How how do you
2: think about dividends as it relates to some of the, the banks? Um, you know, we've got these new capital requirements, we're thinking about what that's going to mean down the road for dividends and, and the like, how, how do you think about it?
7: Yeah, so we knew that the regulations were going to hurt financials across the board. And and you've got to put that into their profit margins. But we didn't want the traditional financials. So looking at Visa, you're not really exposed to that. Goldman Sachs, you know, someday there might be M&A, there might be an IPO again. Who knows? Goldman Sachs seems to continue to trade up even in the absence of it. And I think smart to get away from a lot of the retail business that really wasn't their core, you know, Goldman being Goldman. J.P. Morgan, you know, just what an unstoppable force in the space, beneficiary of the regional banking crisis, rock-solid dividend, dividend growth, share buybacks. I mean, those are the names that we like. And when we talk about multiples, they have really low multiples, and that's a good thing. What about energy?
2: What's your exposure look like in energy? As some say, that's primed for a catch-up trade. You've got five straight weeks of gains now for oil. You know, we're back at 80 bucks. Maybe that's going to be better for energy stocks.
7: What do you think? We've been saying that for month after month after month. Well, finally,
2: maybe this is the moment. Yeah, it
7: finally happened a little bit for the you past 30 days. You talked about a catch-up trade. We own Chevron, Marathon Petroleum, and, uh, and SLB, the old Schlumberger, all, all of which have had great months. And, and to, to remind some folks, because we do operate on the Gregorian calendar and we're measured by you know, the, the, the calendar year, they were awesome trades for 2022. Yeah, They've been the lousy sector. Yeah, lousy in 2023. But, you know, if energy is over $60 a barrel, they make money. They're committed to shareholders. We're seeing WTI up closer to 80. I think it's a great place to be invested for now because of the free cash flow, the dividends, and the share buybacks. All
2: right. Take care. We'll see you soon. Thank you. All right. Kevin Simpson joining us here, Post 9. Up next, J.P. Morgan, speaking of their top technician, Jason Hunter. He's back. Why he's putting his bearish view on ice. Speaking of bears who are capitulating, what it might mean for the broader market in the back half of the year, we'll explain after this break. Closing bell, right back.
6: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.
2: Welcome back to Closing Bell. The S and P 500 staging an impressive comeback today, on track to close with its biggest move of the month. Let's get the next key levels to watch now from Jason Hunter, head of technical strategy at J.P. Morgan. He joins us by the phone. So we sold this as you put your bearish view on ice. Tell us more.
1: Yeah. So the last time I was on, we were talking about this forty two hundred inflection um, that was acting a bit like a bifurcation where it had market had rejected it several times uh, through the year so far. Um, and our view was that the market was able to sustain above forty two hundred and the leadership started to broaden out. Then we would have to take a step back from a bearish view uh kind of a live to fight another day type mentality uh and wait for the stars to align from the chart reading side um that would line up with what we think is a macro fundamental backdrop uh, that's that's not that healthy uh for the market so for the time being uh, more of a neutral type position and waiting for the market to decelerate and form a new top pattern before we could really press that bearish view again
2: do you but but you think this the rally's intact i guess that the trend is intact and that, I mean, there are some making calls that we're going to hit new highs in the next, I don't know, but I mean, we're not that far away now.
1: No, that's right. I mean, the market's bumping into the underside of a, of a channel that's defined the rally from the lows back in September, October of last year. And that's roughly 4,600. It's showing some signs of deceleration, but as we wrote in our note last week um, and, and into this week, that until we see that deceleration form, a more convincing distribution pattern. It's too early to get aggressively negative again. Um, so, as you said, it's, uh, the market's trending until it isn't. Um, it's starting to get overbought. Sentiment's starting to get frothy, but that could persist. Uh, so, we don't want to be early um, with getting bearish again, particularly since we were wrong, you know, coming into the into the summer months. We'll wait for that that distribution pattern to form. You know, keeping in mind that that seasonality starts to turn negative in September and October. So, we'll look for that deceleration. Uh, to form a top pattern but but not move until we see that those facts
5: come into evidence
2: you want to just explain that a little bit more when you say you know the markets overbought which people hear all the time uh, and as you you know obviously and, and rightfully suggest markets can stay overbought for some period of time do you have any sort of idea of how long you'd be you know willing to accept that this
1: could go um, you're yeah, so, so, so I I think there's there's two things. Number one, and as you said, you know, equity markets tend to trade asymmetrically. Um, so bottoms, or you know, as they say, are an event. Tops um, are a process. Um, oversold conditions resolve very quickly, where you get these b shaped bottoms. But as you pointed out, as we said, uh, overbought conditions could persist for a while. So we we don't fade overbought conditions or bullish sentiment. You wait for that to then translate into distribute or I'm sorry, deceleration of the trend. Which then forms a distribution pattern, and like I said, it's a process. It takes time to develop. We're seeing maybe the early stages of that. You know, and then the question is, well, how long do overbought conditions persist? Um, that's variable. That's as long as the fundamentals uh, allow them to. And if we look at the the fundamental economic data at the high frequency level, uh, the data starting in mid May had, um, for the most part, beat economist expectations. You look at the J.P. Morgan U.S. Economic Surprise Data Index. It's, it's been a one-way street since mid-May, much to our dis, you know, dismay, where that's ultimately what stopped us out of our, our bearish view and allowed the market to push above 4,200. And the participation of brought out, small caps start to participate. Um, if the data starts to miss, you know, it, it's like saying water is wet. I get it, but that's really probably what's going to be required uh, for, for this to form into a distribution pattern and turn the corner.
2: Jason, appreciate it very much. We'll talk to you soon. All right. That's Jason Hunter joining us from JP Morgan. Up next, we're tracking the biggest movers as we head into the close on this Friday. Christina Partinevolos, of course, is standing by with that. Christina,
0: you don't make friends with salad sweet green, seeing weak sales in its latest report. Can you reference which show I was just talking about? And a downgrade with Wingstock. Peckish, anyone? Details next. Lots of food.
2: All right, we're 20 minutes away from the close. Christina is standing by with the stock she's watching. Christina.
0: Shout out to all our viewers that got my Simpsons reference there. But let's talk about Wedbush feeling mild about Wingstop, downgrading the stock to neutral and cutting its price target to $185 from $240. Analysts are citing, what, the rise in chicken wings and the potential for franchisees to hike menu prices in response. And that could hurt transaction growth. Shares are down over 8% right now. And sadly, things don't look that much better at Sweetgreen with the salad chain posting weak sales, but hoping to turn a profit for the first time by 2024. Shares, though, are down over 9% right now, but still up more than 60% so far in 2023. So maybe you do win friends with salad.
2: Maybe you do. Or Twisted Tea. That uh, might be the way
0: 32.5%, to go. the whiskey version. 32.5% alcohol level. Whew.
2: Enjoy. Bottoms up.
0: No, I'm, I'm still working. I'm coming on the show in 10 minutes.
2: <laughs> okay. Whatever you say. Christina Parts and <laughs> thank you very much. Last chance to weigh in on our Twitter question. We asked, who is right on the markets? Professor Siegel, the bull, or Gregory Branch, the bear? Head to at CNBC Closing Bell on Twitter. The results are right after this break. The results of the Twitter question. We asked who's right on the markets? Professor Siegel the bull, Greg Branch the bear. The majority of you said Professor Siegel of the Wharton School, the great city of Philadelphia. 69% as a matter of fact, 30. Greg Branch up next. When everyone was focused on the Dow's win streak, there was actually another record run that could be crucial to the market. We explain coming up when we take you where else. The Friday edition of the Market Zone. We're now in the closing bell Market Zone. The Wall Street Journal's Gunjan Banerjee is here to break down the crucial moments of the trading day for us. And Christina Partsinevolos looking ahead to the rush of fintech names reporting next week. Gunjans, good to see you. I'm looking at the S&P up 1% on the week. And I guess the bottom line is nothing that happened this week, whether it was the Fed or earnings or anything else, upset the story or the road that this market appears to be on.
8: That's right, Scott. My big takeaway from this week is people are really fully embracing this soft landing thesis that's been percolating all year, but it's been turbocharged this week among individual investors, institutional investors. We're seeing the Fed come around to this idea of a soft landing and saying that they think a recession could be avoided. One warning sign, though, is I was looking at some Deutsche Bank data recently, which showed that eight of the past 11 hiking cycles were met with a recession. However, they usually didn't arrive until around two years after the Fed started raising interest rates. So watch out for 2024.
2: Yeah, but I mean, the market is still suggesting that the Fed might not be quite done yet, right?
8: You know, a lot of investors I've been talking with do think that the Fed just hiked interest rates for the last time. Um, And it's kind of interesting because one thing we've seen throughout this year is that this mantra of don't fight the Fed, it hasn't worked. People have fought the Fed. They've piled into some of the riskiest assets and they've been rewarded handsomely. I think some of the recent market action suggests that people are looking past the Fed, looking past rising bond yields and are just more focused on individual corporate results at the moment.
2: Well, the Nasdaq's been the epicenter of where the action's been, obviously. And next week, we're going to get Apple and Amazon. And I'm wondering what you think that's going to do uh, to you know, answer the question of whether this rally is about to take its next leg or not.
8: That's the big question. We have Apple earnings. We have Amazon earnings. We have the jobs report. There's a ton to watch next week. And I think those two companies are especially important to watch because everyone is hanging on to what these tech executives are saying about AI, about cash flow, about about their businesses, because they have really staged this incredible rebound this year um, after, of course, an awful 2022.
2: You do, you do say that you expect the individual names to see the quote-unquote more explosive moves in the market rather at this point than the averages themselves.
8: So I think that's what some of this recent market action suggests. One measure of implied correlations among S&P 500 stocks has fallen to some of the lowest levels since 2006. So that's, that tells you that in the options market, people are betting on bigger moves for single stocks relative to the broader index. And again, that's what we've seen this week where we've seen meta jump 5 percent, Royal Caribbean shares pop. All these stocks staging these mammoth moves while index volatility has been pretty low. And and this index suggests that traders are betting on that to continue in coming months.
2: All right. You'll stay with us and we'll talk to you before the end of the program. Phil LeBeau is taking a look at the moves in Ford and Lucid. And Phil, on the phone, they're going in opposite directions today.
5: It's all about electric vehicles, uh, Scott. And Ford's getting hit with a double whammy when it comes to EVs. Yesterday afternoon, they disclosed that they're going to be spending at least $1.5 billion more this year with their EVs, while at the same time slowing down production. And that's too much for the investors at this point. That's why the stock is getting hit by more than 4% today is that making people think twice about specific ev names those companies that are just building EVs, no in fact all of them whether it's tesla rivian fisker lucid they're all higher
2: what does it tell you though phil when you know ford raises its guidance the outlook was pretty good at least for traditional vehicles and the stock goes down three and a half percent as to where investor expectations and hopes have gone as it relates to EV, and somebody
5: to pose a credible challenge to tesla they're not seeing it right now and the question becomes who will pose that credible challenge look is it possible that ford at some point really does become a true competitor to tesla in terms of volume really significant volume yeah it's possible nobody's saying that's not going to happen or couldn't happen but what they're saying is it's not happening anytime soon not with ford not with gm not with any of the established automakers that may change in the next couple of years, but right now, investors don't think
2: so. I wonder if we'll see. You know, obviously, Jim Farley, the CEO, is is hoping that you'll get a similar reaction to, let's say, the F-150 Lightning that Elon Musk has gotten as he's cut prices multiple times on his Tesla vehicles because sales have picked up. He's been willing to sacrifice profitability because he's fixated on growth. And I wonder what the psyche is going to be over at Ford if those sales of the Lightning, for example, don't pick up?
5: Great question. Uh, They are counting on the price cuts of up 17 percent or $10,000 at the highest uh, amount cut. They're counting on that to circulate sales, to really get the sales going. If it doesn't happen, then they're going to say, "Okay, well, this first generation didn't work. The next generation, they've got more generations to come on the Lightning, and they fully admit that they expect to do much better if they produce Future generations of lightning.
2: Phil, appreciate it very much. Enjoy the weekend. That's Phil LeBeau. And news alert now on Live Nation from Julia Borston. Julia, what do we know here?
8: Well, Live Nation shares declining after Politico uh, reported that the Department of Justice could file an antitrust lawsuit against the company and its subsidiary Ticketmaster by the end of the year. The stock is now down over 7%. On this report, um, this uh, lawsuit would be on claims that the entertainment giant is abusing its power over the live music industry according to Politico. I've just moments ago reached out to Live Nation for comment on this. I have not heard back yet, but it is worth noting, Scott, that just yesterday, Live Nation reported uh, uh, quarterly earnings that were far above expectations on the heels of really a meaningful, uh, very significant growth of the live concert business. Back over here. Yeah, to you. I
2: mean, what a reaction. You could see that STORY PLAYING OUT, JULIA, TODAY IN THE MARKET FOR SURE. LIVE NATION REACHING A HIGH TODAY OF $171.74 to what is now a low on the session of $81. So we'll continue to watch that story. Julia Borston reporting there. Christina Partzinovalos, we turn our attention to FinTech next week. Apple and Amazon are getting all the talk, but there's some interesting companies reporting there too. Talk to us.
0: Yeah, there's been a run-up on a lot of these FinTech names at the moment on uh, on the notion that there's going to be refinancing for student loans. Let's talk about SoFi. Their earnings are out uh, next Monday. Investors expecting deposits and loan growth across the board. But James- JP Morgan believes that increases in student loan refinancing might be an exaggerated benefit. Secondly, they're worried about loan write-offs since they've been growing since last year. Lastly, you've got Treasury yields that we know have increased. So SoFi's fair value discount rate goes up, resulting in a negative adjustment. So that's why Bank of America sees limited upside. But the stock has literally doubled year to date. It's up 106 percent. Now let's talk about PayPal. The main issue with PayPal is competition, especially as Apple Pay gains market share. Its closest rival as well is Block, which operates payment processor Square. You can really see the difference, though, between PayPal and Block just year-to-date. PayPal up, what, 3%, a little over 3%, versus Block 25%. Block's earnings are out next Wednesday. Barclays is positive on that name, suggesting the lower hiring trends will help with expenses and margin expansion. But overall, there is a little concern about, um, for a lot of these fintech names, just the over-leveraged consumer and what that Means for discretionary spending going forward.
2: Yeah, so far so good on the consumer. We'll see how long that lasts, and maybe we'll get some answers next week. Christina Partsonevilos, thank you once again. Appreciate it. Back to Gunjan Banerjee, and I guess as we are going to be fixated, and I know we will be on Apple and Amazon. There is that concern uh, about you know whether you're going to get a real catch-up trade whether, you know, some of these lagging areas of the market. I mean, we could take oil, for example. Guys, let's throw up oil, uh, if we might, because we're working on a five-week win streak for the price of crude, which got all the way down in the 60s, and now we're back at $80 a barrel gungeon, and whether these energy stocks, which had such a great 2022 and such a bad 2023, are going to stage some kind of move of, of a catch-up trade.
8: God, I do think we're starting to see signs of that. You know, all eyes are on tech, as they often are. Tech stocks have definitely steal, stolen the show, and they will continue to do so next week. But I do think we are starting to see signs that this rally is broadening. And this optimism isn't just in the stock market. You know, in the options market, the cost of protection, stock insurance is at some of the lowest levels of the past decade people have piled into some of the riskiest corporate bonds. So that tells you investors across asset classes are pretty sanguine about how the economy is doing, how things are going. And, and I'm going to be watching next week. Do we start to see more signs of those animal spirits grow? You know, Are we going to see the IPO market heat up a little bit more? Are we going to start to see signs of optimism spreading to other corners of the market?
2: Well, speaking of asset classes and different ones, treasuries, we're going to be watching interest rates, too. Remember, the Dow was on this 13-day win streak going for 14. Looked like that was going to be the case until you had to move higher in yields yesterday. Now, they backed off today, Gunjan, and perhaps that's one reason why the Nasdaq is outperforming so dramatically today. If we can show that, too, has been up about 2%. There it is, uh, just shy of that uh, for much of the day. And we need to keep our eyes focused there as well.
8: Absolutely. And I mean, heading into the closing bell, the S&P 500 is now on track for I think it's 19th move of less than 1%. That's the longest streak since November 2021. So let's keep an eye on that and whether that continues next week as well.
2: We will, Gunjan. I appreciate you being with us very much. Guys, let's show Apple, too, as we count down towards the close here. And we look at Apple, which last check was heading towards $200 a share. Been a pretty good week for mega cap tech, even Microsoft, which I suppose you could say was a bit of a disappointment. That stock, as I pointed out earlier, because of that move today, still only down about 1.4% on the week. All eyes will be on Apple. And Amazon as well. Mega Cap Tech wrapping it up. We're wrapping it up now. Have a great weekend. That does it for us. I'll send it into overtime with Morgan and John.
6: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you.